ברוכים הבאים רבותיי, Welcome to another edition of our Thursday night class. Uh, the year Tavshin Pe'alif uh, that we are experiencing uh, is an exceptional year. It's exceptional on many levels. Uh, put aside what's going on uh, with the pandemic, put aside what's going on in uh, American politics, uh, but the Yitavshin Pe'alif is also an anomaly when it comes to the Jewish calendar. A lot of things that uh, are happening this year are rarities that don't happen that often. Take, for example, next Friday, there'll be a Ta'anit, Asarab Tevet. You know, how often do we fast on a Friday? Going to Shabbat fast doesn't happen that often. Uh, this year, uh, for example, Purim will come out on a Friday also. That means many of our members will go into Shabbat drunk, which they do anyway, but uh, this time they'll have an excuse to do it. <clears throat> Pesach, for example, this year, Erev Pesach is on Shabbat. So we don't burn the hametz this year in the normal way. We eat hametz in the morning and then we have to, you know, get rid of it uh, down the sink. <clears throat> so again, there's a lot of uh, oddities that happened in the year Tavshin Pe'alev. Who knows, maybe uh, one of the oddities will be that uh, the Mashiach will come into town and uh, it'll add to the strange things that happen. And we welcome that uh, odd uh, result. And uh, it'll be the year of the Ge'ulah. But in the meantime, uh, there's something that will happen this Shabbat uh, that hasn't happened in 20 years. Um, it happens, you know, from time to time. And when it does happen, it's uh, something that must be pointed out. <clears throat> you know that every, uh, every Hanukkah, so there's always a special Haftarah that we read on the Shabbat of Hanukkah. We read it last Shabbat. It's called Nerot, the Zechariah. Uh, many times, more times than not, uh, Hanukkah, will span during Parashat Miketz. So uh, Parashat Miketz, uh, most of the times we're going to read the Haftarah of Hanukkah. There's two Haftarot of Hanukkah. However, it happens, as it did in this year, that we only have one Shabbat of Hanukkah, which was Parashat Vayeshev. And this year, Parashat Miketz is not Hanukkah. Hanukkah ends tonight. Tomorrow is the last day. And then uh, Shabbat is a regular parashat miketz. Uh, very uh, rarely do we ever even talk about parashat miketz because it's always Hanukkah. Uh, the reason uh, that we're not going to have Hanukkah this year during parashat miketz is because a few things on the calendar worked out to create the perfect storm. First and foremost, the first day of Rosh Hashanah this year was on a Shabbat. That factors in when the next two months after Rosh Hashanah, Heshvan and Kislev are Haserim. There's only 29 days in those months. Normally they're Maleh. So you have a Heshvan that was 29 days and a Kislev that was 29 days. Uh, that will cause uh, Hanukkah to come out in Parashat Ba'yeshev. Like it did last week. We celebrated on Friday, the first day. It land on a Friday and therefore Miketz is not Hanukkah. So what does that mean? It means that uh, we're going to read the Haftarah of Parashat Miketz. 
which we very rarely do. Uh, the last time we read the Haftarah Parashat Miketz, which is not the Hanukkah reading, so Miketz Haftarah, whatever it is, was in Tavshin Samich Aleph, which is exactly 20 years ago. You know, and before that, it was also uh, tens of years. So uh, the Haftarah that we're going to read the Shabbat is, uh, comes from time to time. Something that we didn't read in 20 years. <laughs> Uh, we've been giving this class for close to 20 years. I don't know if the last time it happened we pointed it out. But nonetheless, tonight, uh, I must take advantage of this opportunity to study with our members, the Haftarah. Uh, because uh, it's an incredible Haftarah. We're lucky that we're able now to, you know, to learn it. First and foremost, we have to know where its location is. It's in the book of Menachim. If those members are watching at home, <clears throat> or those members that are in the synagogue that want to get a homash or follow inside, I recommend it because you're going to have to learn it inside with the words. Uh, the Haftarah is found in the book of Menachim Aleph. And it's in Gimam, chapter 3. And the Haftarah begins on Pasuk Tedvav. Now, the first objective whenever we learn Haftarah is immediately to try to figure out what the connection between the Haftarah is and the Parashat HaShavuah. Because the Haftarah was, uh, at a certain point in history, replacing the reading. Uh, the Goyim made a decree against reading the Sefer Torah in public. The Achamim didn't want us to forget the theme of the Parashah, so they gave us a Haftarah reading from the Nevi'im which shared the same theme of the parasha, so therefore we'll have a, a zechen, or we'll have a, a memory of it. So it's our obligation at first always to figure out what is the linkage between the Haftarah and the parashat HaShavuah. In this case, it's obvious. The first pasuk of the Haftarah is, Vayikatz Shilomo Vehine Halom. Shilomo, Shilomo HaMelech, Vayikatz, he woke up, and behold, there was a dream. Now, this is the famous dream that Shalom HaMelech had, where God came to him, and he told him that he can ask him for uh, whatever he wants. Either he could have wisdom or he could have wealth. And Shalom HaMelech said that he wants wisdom in order to judge the people, and he forewent and foregoed the wealth. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu told him, because you asked for wisdom and you didn't ask for wealth, you're going, get, uh, you're going to get both. Well, in Al-Pirasha, those words are deja vu. Uh, they happened not to Shalomo, but to Paro. The Pasuk says in Al-Pirasha, So they both had dreams. Uh, and it's also important to point out the different reaction between when Shalomo got up from his dream and when Paro got up from his dream. When Shalomo gets up from his dream, it says, He went and he brought korbanot. He made a party. Uh, Shalomo was thrilled with the dream. He understood it. He remembered it. He realized its significance. And not only that, but he saw the results of his dream immediately. Uh, the Rashi points out that immediately when he woke up, 
הבין שהחלום אמת. He realized that the dream that he just had, that God's going to give him wisdom, to be wiser than anybody that ever lived, he realized that that dream was emet and it came true. How did he know? Shomeya of metzapsef umevin leshono. All of a sudden, Shalom would hear, hear the birds chirping and he understood what they were saying. Kelev noveya. He heard a dog that was barking. Umevin leshono. So all of a sudden, he had a tremendous amount of wisdom. He said, this is a, this is a true dream. Already the, the wisdom was, uh, was setting in. He understood the language of the animals. And therefore, he was very thankful. Compare that to Paro, when he gets up from the dream and he's all confused. Uh, he's, uh, he's all bewildered. As a matter of fact, not only was he bewildered, but all his Hartumim were also bewildered. They couldn't give him a, a, an interpretation. They weren't able to explain it to him. And uh, until Yosef Asadi comes along and gives him the interpretation. So that would be the simple... Um, Connection between the two, uh, the two haftarot, the haftarah and the parasha. Uh, two men, both have dreams. Uh, look at the difference between the dream of Paro, that he's lost after he has the dream, he's in a state of confusion. And look at Shalomu Amelech when he has his dream that Sadiq, not only does he have the dream, he understands it, it's, it's realized immediately, and he's able to make a mishteh, he makes a, a party, and he makes a celebration. Fine, but that Abutai is only one pasuk of the Haftarah. The Haftarah then goes on to tell us one of the most famous stories that we learned when we were young. Everybody knows it. Uh, it's a story that would prove Shilomo's wisdom to the people. Now the people, uh, they want to see uh, that this young boy, he was only 12 years old, Shilomo, at the time. So he's not even a uh, bar yet. And all of a sudden now, he's going to show his prowess and his wisdom, and his genius in front of Klai Yisrael. Let's read the story that happened. The story is told, as, as, then, after the dream, Tavona shetayim nashim zonot el ha-melech. Two ladies, the Navi refers to them as zonot. We know what zonot are, zonot are harlots, uh, immoral women, and they came to the king. It shows you that they were uh, brazen. Normally, you don't go to a king for a, for a ruling. You go to the lower courts first. You go to the people's court. And then they can't solve it. You go to the district court. And then you go to the higher courts. And these are not. You know, the first thing they do is they knock on the king's door. Hey, we have a case. What are you talking about? Over here? Not the, this, 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 this case over here doesn't come to the king. And they stood in front of him. The Nabi goes out of its way to tell us they were standing. You know, there's a halakha that's brought down in the laws of uh, courts, Jewish courts, that when the judge is rendering the judgment, so the litigants have to stand up. You ever see an American court today when the, when the judge is about to say the ruling, everybody has to stand up? Where'd they get that from? They got it. They stole it from our Torah and everything else they stole. They took that also. Uh, but over here, it's interesting that the Navi comes and says, I saw an explanation is because when it comes to Shilomo, he's able to render judgment immediately. So they were, 
and have to stand right away because Shiramamid could able to hear the case and doesn't have to say, I'll be deliberate, we'll get back to tomorrow. So immediately when they knew they were coming to the wisest of all men, but they knew that a judgment was coming. So in Shiramamid's court, every moment is Gemardi. Therefore, there's a dina but ta'amodna. Fine. Vatomira Ishaha Ahat. One of the uh, the ladies, she has a claim. We'll call her the uh, the claimant. Be Adoni. Okay, and she had you know. Sometimes even Zonot have derecheres. She refers to the king as Be Adoni, my master. Ani zot, me and this this lady over here, Yoshvot bebayit ehad. We live in the same house, live in the same in the same apartment together. Vaeled imababayit, and we both gave birth to children in the house. Okay, she's establishing a case where there's no witnesses over here. We both gave birth in the house and nobody saw it. It's just me and her. Uh, how did they give birth alone? I don't know, maybe they were doulas. I don't know how they gave birth alone. So no, go figure it out. But nonetheless, she says, I gave birth first. After three days after I gave birth, this lady gave birth also. So our children are three days apart. We're alone in the house. Oh, so there's no strangers in the house. There's nobody in the other apartments. There's no husbands over here. Well, there's not. So there's no men around over here. Again, she's giving the king a case that he's going to have to figure out just based on their testimony, and you're not going to be able to corroborate anything with witnesses because they're the only ones in the house. That's it. They're the only ones in the house. So basically, it's going to be my word against her word, and the Shulamor is going to have to show his genius how to figure out a case where you don't have witnesses to support either side. What's the claim? This lady over here, her child died during the night. Cause of death, Asher Shachba Alav. She slept on it. Can happen. Lady's lying in the bed, puts the baby next to her, she falls asleep. She turns over, she smothers the baby. So, she gets up in the middle of the night, and she takes my baby that was next to me. She says, I was sleeping. And she takes my baby and puts it next to her. And her dead baby she puts next to me. So she switches the babies. Now, if you just want to be precise in the language, uh, maybe, maybe she slept on her own baby. Uh, so if you look at the text over here, 
when it comes to the first lady, she says, Asher shachva alav. She slept on her baby. She rolled on her baby. So she says, my son was not uh, next to me where I could roll him. It was itzli. It was close to me. Uh, so therefore, I, I was careful. I, 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 didn't, I didn't kill my baby. She killed her baby and switched. Okay, well, she says, I woke up in the morning. In order to nurse the child. And all of a sudden I see the baby's dead. And I looked at him. I said, this is not the child that I gave birth to. Now the defendant. So the, now you finished talking, she gave a whole story over there. She's the claimant. She's the one that's the tovat. She has a claim. And when you come into court, you always have somebody that has a claim, and then you have somebody to defend. <coughs> so the tovat, uh, the claimant, her tibia uh, is very, very clear. And now what does the uh, defendant have to say? It's not the case. She says very, very short rebuttal. She doesn't get into all details. She doesn't get into the story. She comes along and he says, she says, no, that's not the case. I, I, I disagree. My son is the living one. And yours is the one that dies. So whatever you're claiming that I did, you actually did it. Your son is the one that's dead. <clears throat> and therefore, that's my son, the one that's alive. Vizoto merit. She comes back with a counterclaim. Lo, ki Your son is the one that's dead. Ubeni ahai. Vatidaberna lifnea melech. And they spoke in front of the king. That she comes along and says they spoke in front of the king. It's obvious they're speaking. She says, no, they went back and forth. No, it's your fault. No, but, and the king is just watching and listening to these two ladies uh, arguing in front of him. But the Daberna, the So Shalom Melech is in a big uh, case here, and he has to solve it. And he has to figure it out. There's no video cameras, there's no surveillance. Uh, even the cause of death was like a crib death. It wasn't a cause of death where the child was sick because if the child was sick, they would have called the doctor, somebody would have came. So you have eyewitnesses. You have uh, people that were there. They're saying, no, this happened uh, overnight. Nobody was able to see it. Nobody visited. Nobody friends came over. So it's just mamash. Two ladies, one against the other, and one has to solve it. So the first thing Shalom HaMelech does, Vayomer HaMelech, Zot Omeret, he repeats the uh, he repeats the claimant and the defendant's words. From here, the Gemara learns the halakha that before the judge can give a ruling, he must repeat the claims. 
in order that he shows that he understands the case. So he repeats. So you're saying this, and you're saying this. So Shalom Menuch is following the protocol of Bedin. He said, I have the solution. Bring to me a sword. So they bring the sword in front of the king. The sword and slice the baby in half. Utnu and split the baby. Give half the baby to one of the mothers, to one of the ladies, and the other half to the other. I'm assuming that he meant to split it, uh, you know, uh, vertically. Because if you split it horizontally, it's not fair. Why should one get the top half and one get the bottom half? But if you split it uh, vertically, so then it's a, it's an equal uh, 50-50 split. So that was his genius. Of course, the Gemara says in Makot that when the rabbis or in the Sanhedrin are listening to Shalom HaMelech, they said, Oi, woe to us. Woe to us. Oi, uh, uh, woe to the nation. That we have a, a Melech that's a teenager. What kind of ruling is this over here? There's a, he's gonna, it's not enough that one child died, but the king now is going to kill the second child. So they didn't even understand what he was doing, but he knows exactly what he's doing. So one of the ladies, one of the ladies that it was that was really the mother, the real mother. Now I don't know, by the way, who the real mother is. Is it, is it the claimant or the defendant? The Nabi doesn't tell us which one was the real mother, but whoever the real mother was, <laughs> she had mercy. She doesn't want to see a child split in half. So she said, Give it to the, uh, give it to her. I have a, a proof that it was the claimant that was the real mother. The lady that came in that told the story that she smothered her child. She I have a proof that she was the one that said, no, no, don't, don't, don't split the child. Give the baby up. How do I know? And my proof, I mean, this is, uh, because how does she talk to the king? When she tells the king, don't split the child, she says, Vatomir bi adoni. If you remember when she came into the court, how did she address the king? The Pasuk says in Yudzayin, Vatomir Haisha Ahad bi Adoni. So you see that that's the way she talks, bi Adoni. So therefore, it's probable to say that she was the real mother. She uses the same Lashon bi Adoni. And uh, she said, No, no, give it up, give it up. The Hamet Altimituhu. Don't kill him. What does the defendant say? 
גם לי, גם לך, לא יהיה. No, the child will not be not mine and not yours. Gizoru, cut him up. Which is really incredible uh, that any lady can come along and make a second ago she was saying she wants the baby. And now all of a sudden she goes from claiming that she wants the baby and now she's saying, yeah, great idea. I accept Shalomor's ruling. Gizoru. Vayana Melech, Vayomer, תנולה את הילוד החי, והמת לא תמיתוהו, היא אמו. Give it to the, to the mother that was willing to give up the child. That's the real mother. And the logic, of course, is understood. It's so understood that we don't even understand what the wisdom is of Shilomor is over here so much because it's obvious. The real mother would rather give up the child and the child remain alive than to have the child uh, split up in half and die. So Shilomor Melech says, that must be the real mother. The mother that says, give him up, take her. That's the Rahmanut of the mother. They heard uh, the, 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 the judgment of the king. And they had fear. What does it mean they had fear? Because all the criminals now said, we can't, we can't fool this king. So therefore they had fear to commit any crimes. They saw that his wisdom is actually divine. That she comes along and says, a bat call actually came out in the courtroom. And the bat call said, he immo. The bad call confirmed that Shilomo Melech was right. That's the story. The Abarbanel over here, he's saying, you know, where do you see such a genius over here? It's logical that a mother has mercy on the child. No mother would want to see a child split in half. So the fact that she says, okay, you take the child. Shilomo says, oh, you see that? Uh, the natural tendency of a mother is to protect the child under all circumstances. She must be the mother. And everybody says, oh, that's incredible. That's a, you're unbelievable. Uh, you know, I guess if you went to a basic psychology class, you'd also come to the same conclusions as Shilomor. So the Barbanel, he has an interesting theory. He says that Shilomor Amelech, when they walked in, he had what's called Chochmata Pertzuf. Chochmata Pertzuf means he could just look at the face and he could tell already who's telling the truth and who's lying. You know, today they have experts. They could see from the different, uh, you know, body uh, movements and body language exactly who's, uh, who's telling the truth and who's not. Shalomu HaMelech had it. And therefore, when they walked in, right away, Shalomu HaMelech says, she's the mother. And you know, how do you know? I know already, finish. I see it. Then he just showed them through this uh, ruse with the with the sword that he was right. So he didn't, uh, that wasn't the way he knew it. He knew it from Ahmad Tapatsusa. So when they saw that Shinnah Muhammad knew it even before he interrogated them, then everybody said, Wow, he's unbelievable. He didn't even have to hear the case. He could just look at them and he could say who's guilty. And he's right. So the 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 Herev was to prove it to the people, not to prove it to himself. He knew exactly. Uh, who, who, who was right and who was wrong uh, from the get-go. 
Uh, and how did he know it? Or how did he prove it to the people? Like I said, a mother will not say that to kill a child. There's a famous, uh, famous story uh, that happened in Europe. In the olden days, they used to have, uh, uh, you know, the girls uh, was very, very hard pressed to get a date. Uh, like we have today, they have a shiduch crisis, they say. So in the olden days, you know, so whenever they had a good boy from the yeshiva, uh, and he was eligible to go out on a date, so uh, he was a catch. So the potential uh, uh, mothers of the girls would come to the train station, and uh, you know they would uh, grab him off the train to try to get the yeshiva boy to go out with their daughter. And the mothers were they were pushy. And sure enough, uh, the train pulls in, and there's two ladies at the train station. The yeshiva boy comes off, and now all of a sudden they start to argue and say, "This is." Uh, my son-in-law, and the other one said, no, this is for my, this is my son-in-law. And like the case of Shalom Amalek. <laughs> so they said, listen, we got to go to the rabbi. And they go to the rabbi, and uh, the rabbi says, listen, we have a precedent how to solve these cases over here. You're saying it's your son-in-law for you, and you're saying it's your son-in-law, potentially. Well, give me the knife. We'll have to cut the, uh, cut the, uh, cut the, uh, cut the guy in half, and we'll split it. And all of a sudden, uh, one of the ladies says, no, 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 don't do it. And the other lady says, Gizoru. And the rabbi says, you're the mother-in-law. Finish. That's, your, that's, your, that's yours. If, you, if you'll say, cut, the, cut him up, you must be the mother-in-law. The child, the, the son belongs to you. So that's a reverse, uh, reverse example in Shalom case. Nonetheless, Rabotai, that's the way that Barbanel learns. There's a very, very interesting... <coughs> very, very interesting Malbim over here. And the Malbim makes a, a beautiful, beautiful observation, but he bases it on the Klal. The Klal is, he says, is as follows. And I quote, The Klal belashon adam yakdim tamid it's interesting. When a person is in court, not only in court, in general, the main item he says first, and the secondary items he puts to the side and he says second. So always listen when somebody's giving a claim, what's his first, what's his first words that come out of his mouth? So he says, based on this, if you look at the uh, if you look at the text, the second lady, the defendant, she comes along and says, Lo, ki The first thing she says is which means her main issue was my son is the living one. And then secondly, she didn't care too much about B'nei Hamed. She's more concerned about B'nei Ahai. She wants her son. V'zot omedit. What is this, the, the original, the claimant, the lady that came in said, Lo, ki B'nei Ahai. She says the reverse way. She says, So it seems that she's more concerned, she's more certain that B'nei Hamed than B'nei Ahai. So when the king comes along and repeats the uh, the claims, 
זאת אומרת, זה בני החי ובניך מת. וזאת אומרת לא כי בניך מת ובני החי. You should have heard that nuance. Because when he repeats the claims, he repeats each one with the reverse. So therefore, that's the Malbim says, Shilomo already understood that it wasn't the claimant that was the mother, it was actually the defendant that was the mother. So it's interesting, it's a ma'loket amongst the Mepharshim, who was the real mother over here? He says it was the one that came along and said, Zibini, because she was making the, uh, she was making the claim as such. Fine. The issue over here is subject to another question that we have to ask. This over here is a potential homicide case. The Navi doesn't get into the homicide issue of it over here. I understand it's unintentional. And there's a claim over here that she rolled over and killed her baby. I understand that in the regular court, you might not get a death penalty for that because you say, okay, listen, it was a mistake. It wasn't, uh, uh, what should I say, uh, premeditated uh, murder. You know, although, God forbid, anytime a child dies in the house, the investigators right away come to the house. They want to see if there was any, uh, you know, uh, negligence by the parents. Or maybe, God forbid, uh, who knows what the parents have up their sleeve. They're trying to do something to the child. And then the investigators have to determine that no, it was uh, no fault to the parent. However, there's a halachad harambam writes in the halachot of uh, Melachim. And harambam writes, V'shogeg sheharag v'shkaga yesh reshut lamelech lehorgo k'deh netaken et ha'olam. Interesting. A king has a uh, a certain, uh, what should I say, flexibility in the law, that he's able to exercise capital punishment even against people that didn't do it on purpose. If the king sees fit in order to scare the people, in order to make offense, in order to make sure that the people are not uh, lackadaisical, Harambam writes, the king is able to say, even though you're shogeg, Death. And what is that going to do? Oh, we'll be careful. By the way, if he puts this lady to death for unintentionally killing her baby in the sleep, you rest assured no mother's going to put the baby in the bed next to her anymore. Now they'll stop putting the baby in the crib. They're going to make sure that the baby... So the king has a right to do that, Harabam says. So what happened? Says the Mifarshim something unbelievable here. This lady who killed her baby so what was she nervous about? She's worried about, forget about the baby. She's worried about that if this gets to the king, the king could put her to death for this. So she's scared for her life. So therefore, what does she do? She says, you take this baby over here. She puts the dead baby by the other lady and she takes the live one. Look, she's willing to even support now a non-biological baby, but in order to, to save her life. Who, who, who wouldn't do that? So when she comes into the king, she comes, in, comes along and says, no, no, this is uh, my baby, and that one over there is the dead one. What is she claiming? She, don't wanna, she doesn't want to die. She knows that the king could put her to death. What happens? All of a sudden, she changes her tune. 
That same lady comes along and says, when the king says, get the knife out. Get the knife out and split the baby. All of a sudden, the lady that was claiming, hey, it's my baby. Now what is she saying? Kill the baby. Oh, what, what, what happened over here? Why all of a sudden does that's with the baby because once already the king is saying listen we don't know who's uh, the mother of it split the baby so she says oh I'm off the hook now I'm off the hook now he's not going to kill me once he's not going to kill me I don't want to support this baby what am I going to pay for this baby she's not, he's not my biological baby split the baby right there split the baby so therefore that was her, uh, her turnaround once already Shalom says split the baby she said now I'm off the hook there's no death penalty over the king doesn't know who did it the king's putting the baby because he doesn't know who's, who's the guilty one. So therefore, he can't kill me. That's already... Uh, he says, Oh, once the king himself doesn't know what the rule is? Beautiful. But now it's in her interest to kill the baby because why, why, should, why, why would she want to support a non-biological child? So that's one, one mahalach. That the uh, the Mefarshim say over here, but I have to quote to you the Midrash here, Abotai. The Midrash is very very interesting. The Midrash says that actually these two zonot, Yerushalmi says it. Kalava Hamota, oh, Kalava Hamota. I mean, so it was some type of family. You have a mother-in-law and her daughter-in-law. They were the two zonot that came in front of Shalom HaMelech. Uh, in a minute, I'm going to read to you the brilliant interpretation of the Ben Ishai, the way he sees this uh, episode. But I saw some of the Mefarshim that say very simple. If this is kalaba hamota, well, obviously, there's no husbands over here. There was no witnesses. The husbands died. Now, if this daughter-in-law will call her, uh, if she dies, if her child dies, and that other child belongs to her mother-in-law, she is now subject to yibum. What's the law when, God forbid, somebody's husband dies? The brother of the husband has to make yibum. Well, if this is her mother-in-law and her mother will say, no, my child is the one that's alive and your child uh, over here died, that means you died, your husband died, left you childless. The law is now you have to make yibum. That means they have to wait till this kid grows up. The kid's three days old. Now you're going to sit an old maid until this kid is uh, 18 years old, ready to get married. She doesn't want to be uh, uh, an old maid now, waiting for your boom. Understand what's going on according to the Gemara? So therefore, it's a harder benefit to come along and say, no, this is my child. And therefore, I'm not subject to your boom. I don't have to wait for anything. That was the, uh, the back and forth. Is she obligated in the your boom or not? Oh, so what did the king say? The king came along and said, kill the baby. Oh, that's also a good option. Kill the baby. <laughs> kill the baby. I'm not obligated to make you move anymore. I have to wait for the kids. Not here anymore. No kids. 
So therefore, that's how she was able to turn around so quickly. She didn't want to, uh, originally she would say, hey, that's my kid, that's my kid. She doesn't want to fall to your room to, 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 her, uh, to her brother-in-law, to her mother-in-law's son, her husband's brother. Once already the king said, Gezoru, Gezoru, get rid of him, get rid of him, there's no Yibbutz, she can move on. So that's why she was able to flip so uh, so quickly. But the Ben Yishai over here has a very, very novel interpretation that's worthy to uh, to bring out to light. What did Shalomu Amelech mean when he said split the baby? He said, it can't be the wisest of all men. We always learned it. Yeah, it was a tactic. He never meant the Gezoru. It was a tactic. But the Benish Chai said, no, even the, the wisest of all men would not use a, uh, a tactic over here like this. So what does he mean, Gezoru? So he says, brilliant. Remember we learned in uh, the Gemara, we all learned it when we were young, two guys are arguing with the Talit. Two guys in shul. They came to the shul. They both grabbed the same Talit. Each one's claiming the Talit is mine. So what does the Mishnah say to do in such a case? Ya'loku means what? You split the Talit. Split the talit. I guess split the talit. So the Gemara explains no. It means you sell the talit and you divide the money. Because the Gemara gives a similar case by a hamor. Zeomer kulasheli. Zeomer kulasheli. What are you going to split the hamor? You got half a hamor, you got half a hamor. What can you do with it? And the in that case means sell the hamor and uh, take the money and give it to the two litigants. So says the Benish Hai. That that's what he meant when the king said to the ladies, Gezoru means we'll split, meaning we'll sell the child as an Ebed and we'll take the money from the proceeds of selling him as an Ebed and we'll divide it amongst the, uh, amongst the uh, parents. That's a, that's a fair... Uh, no one's cutting up any babies over here. Oh, so if nobody's cutting up any babies, why do he ask for a head if? If this is a gezoru of a monetary uh, divide, he asked for a herif. He says, incredible. He says, you know what the Gemara Yibamot teaches us? That when a rabbi is sitting in court, he has to imagine that there's a herif underneath his seat. And if he makes a mistake, he's going to be liable. So therefore, before he gives the ruling, he says, wait, I want to make sure that I have the fear of God. Bring me a herif, not to cut the baby. Put the Erev under his seat so he could look at the Erev in order that he shouldn't, Hazra uh, Shalom, uh, pervert the justice. The, the, the Dayan has to see, that's what the Erev was for him. Oh, so when all of a sudden, one of the mother, the real mother, the real mother says, What? They're going to sell my son uh, 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 as an Sell my son as an I don't want my son to be sold as an Give it to the other lady. Selling as an Ebed, who knows where he's gonna, what's gonna end up happening to him. So, what does she say? The language that she says is after the king rules Gezoru, 
ותאמר האישה אשר בנה חי אל המלך, כי נכבלו לך מעל בנה, בי אדוני, don't sell the kid, תנו לה אל הילוד החי, give her the life child, give it to her, better than being an עבד, now what does it mean? והמת אל תמיתוהו, what do you mean המת אל תמיתוהו? the king was never going to kill her, what does she mean when he said והמת אל תמיתוהו? So the Benish I says something amazing. He says, but dear, my dear king, just I want you to know, don't kill the child if he ever curses this lady or ever hits her because it's really not her son. And therefore that Torah says, please give her the baby. But, Please make a note. If he ever does something to that lady, don't hurt my child. Understand what she was saying? If he does something to that lady, because it's not his mother. So therefore, if when they get older and he curses that lady, normally what happens to the Torah law, if you curse your mother, the Torah says, What does the Torah say? So she says, Give it to her. Put an asterisk that if this boy ever comes to Bedin for cursing this lady out, don't kill him. But Shilomor said, such a lady is worried about what's going to be. This must be the mother. Who's thinking about don't kill the baby in a remote case where he might cur- If she's such, such, a, only a mother is concerned about what's going to be in 20 years from now. The kid doesn't even talk yet. He's not even three days old. So therefore, from that already, he understood. <coughs> he understood the process. Good. Then the Benish High, in a, again, a brilliant explanation, he takes this case a step further. And he learns the story as follows. He says, yes, the Midrash was right. It was a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. Kalav But it wasn't an issue over of Yibum. It wasn't the issue that they were concerned about, Yibum. <clears throat> the issue was what most people come to court for, and that is what? Money. Usually in the courtroom, at the end, when you get all the claims and get to the bottom of all the claims, what does it come down to? It usually comes down to money. You know, you have to peel away all the, you know, the front that's coming in the beginning. And then you say, okay, bottom, what do you want? And then the end, I want money. And that's what happened over here since the baby. All about the money. What happened? You have the mother-in-law. Okay. Her husband was Reuven. Reuven has Zakin. He was a uh, wealthy guy. Had a lot of money. Okay. He died. Beautiful. Allah shalom. Rich man. Who's Yoresh? These two kids. This is a Kalab Hamota. So these are two uh, two brothers. You have over here uh, 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 the Hamota, the mother-in-law has a son. The daughter-in-law has a son over here. So these are the Yoresh of, uh, of Reuven. Oh, so it happens. Which is really, she was married. She's married to the... To, to, but her husband died. So therefore, who, who's your, who gets the chenek of a husband that died? A son. So these two sons are the heirs to the uh, to the money. 
all of a sudden what happens? The daughter-in-law's son died. That's it. Now she's had all the money. Now all the money goes to the mother-in-law and to her son. She doesn't have a husband. She doesn't have a child. So the money's no way can go to, to her side. So what does she do? She needs to figure out a way how to get. She don't care about the child. She cares about one thing, the money. So what does she do? She takes the baby. In the middle of the night, she takes the baby. By taking this baby, now we're ready. What's going to happen? By taking the baby, it's my baby. Your baby. My baby. I get the money from uh, from uh, from my father-in-law. Understand what's going on over here? Very good. So she comes into the bed, Dean. The bed is high, and I quote. She comes into the bed, Dean. Oh. He says, she, she, she knew a little law. You ever hear the law in Halakha that says that whenever you have a sefik, you keep everything in the status. What does the status mean? The mahzik, whoever is holding the item, we don't know who uh, has it. You want to take it out of me? You bring your proof. You can't bring your proof? We keep status until the Nabi comes. So what happens? The mother-in-law, she's holding on to the money. It's a husband. She's the muhuzaket on the money. Who's holding the child? The daughter-in-law. The daughter-in-law has the child. So therefore, she, she, she wants to make a ruling that what? If Shudamokalunga says it's your child, then bingo with the child comes automatically the money. That's a, that's a plan. That's the plan. All of a sudden, what happens... All of a sudden, what happens over here? She comes along and says, My child. Shalom Amela comes along and says, Gezoru, mm, split the child. What does he mean, split the child? He says, Listen, I don't know who the child belongs to. See the yo yo. You have to split them. One month, you take care of them, custody. The other month, you get custody. When she heard that, she said, Beauty. If they're going to split the child, that means you also have to split the money. Because now you're saying it belongs to both of us. So just like the child belongs to both of us, so that means now the money also belongs to us. If Shalomah was said, you keep the child, she doesn't want to keep the child. If she keeps the child because she's the muhzeket, then the mother-in-law keeps the money because she's the muhzeket. That's not a good ruling for her. When Shalomah says, nah, gezoru, ah, gezoru, I think gezoru. She understood gezoru means we share the child. Good, we share the child. So the same way we're sharing the child, I was the Mozak, we share the money also. My mother's the Mozak. Everything. So then she thought she made money. The mother-in-law understood what we're saying. Uh, the mother-in-law understood. No, 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 no. She don't want medic really means over here. Sell the child as a heaven. Now, she doesn't mean she's misunderstanding him because she's thinking about the money. So it's a misunderstanding. And therefore she came up and said, no, don't sell the child. Give it to her. She don't want understood from over there. Give it to her. You must be the real child. These are different uh, approaches that the uh, Hakamim are bringing in order to understand the wisdom of Shalom. However, I must make you aware of an opinion of the Megali Amukot. Listen, Abotai, the Midrash over here 
says in one of its interpretations, as tabona shtayim nashim zonot, midrash nashim ashirim, mi hayu, rab amar ruchot hayu. They were spirits. Rabbanan amri yibamot hayu. Okay, yibamot, we did that one already. Rav Simon Amar, Zonot Mamash. Yes, Omnim Kalabahamota. So he went to all the people. What does it mean, Ruchot? They were spirits. How are we going to explain this to you, Rabbutai? How are we going to explain this to you? I don't understand it myself, so that, how are we going to explain it to you? I have no idea. But I will give you a reference. Anybody wants to see it inside, look at the Megale Amukot. In Ofan Kufla Midbet. He explains this whole story of Piyakabana. You see, the Megale Amukot wrote a book. He explained the Pasuk, that one Pasuk in Parajah Hanan, he explained it 252 ways. This book is a book explaining one Pasuk 252 distinct ways. So if you want to understand what's going on in the parasha over here with Shilomor, it's number 132, he goes into it. And he says, to understand it, you have to open up the Zohar in a sefer that's called Sifra Ditzni'uta. Cool. Maybe we should uh, dim the lights. He says, listen, you know that there's a concept called Kilipot? Kilipot are energies that come from the Sitra Hala, from the dark side. Just like this Kiddushah, there's Tum'ah. And this is the struggle between the Kiddushah and the Tum'ah. And this struggle will last until Mashiach comes. Be'ezat Hashem Mashiach comes, Bilama Vetanetzah, the Kilipot are going to be destroyed. Then there's not going to be any more Yetzirada, there's not going to be any more temptation, any more desires. But until that point, this is the struggle uh, when we talk about, for example, in Mitzrayim, there was 49 levels of Tum'ah. These are the negative energies that draw people into their web in order to make Haberot, to commit immorality, addiction, uh, all sorts of crimes. This is the Kilipot. And we have to keep our uh, uh, safety to keep away from them. And how do you keep away from them? Zorak you got to learn Torah. <coughs> you have to do Mitzvot. You have to wear sisid, go to the mikveh. You need to be careful because these kilipot, it's like the mafia. But it's a spiritual mafia. And they can come along and drag you in. This is the facts, Rabotai. I don't want to give anybody nightmares. <clears throat> but this is the reality that we talk about the kilipot. The husks, in English they call it. Shedim, Ruchot. Oh. There's male kilipot and there's female kilipot. Incidentally, the female are worse, by the way. But I'm just making a point. <clears throat> the Zorak says, you have what's called like the Sabbath He's one of the male ones. But then you have the Lamid Yud, Lamid Yud. We don't want to say her name. Lamid Yud, Lamid Yud and Taf. That's the main kilipa of the of the znut, of zona, of, uh, of immorality. He's the 
all the power today that we see in the world of people that are going after their design, the crazy things that are going on with the internet, and the, this is this is her last war. She also has a partner. Her partner, I don't want to say the name, it's a Shadim. It's Mem, Het, and then a Lamed and a Taf. Like Mechila, but with a Taf at the end. Those are the two female Shadim or Kelipot that are destructive. On the male side, they're called, at least in the Megale Amukot's understanding, one is called Edom, which is the Samech Mem, but he calls them Edom. And there's also a kilipa on the male side called Resh Hebet. Resh Hebet actually is a kilipa from Mitzrayim. Okay, you see that name in Tehillim sometimes. That's a kilipa. So you got it, two males, two females. Now, what's the goal? To destroy them. Who's going to destroy them? You want the job? We don't want to, you need big sadikim in order to draw all the kiddushah that they have away from them because they live on kiddushah. They stole the kiddushah from us. And they live on it. They're scavengers. And you need a tzaddik to go in and take it out from them. Bidi Nidr one day will give a whole shiur on this concept of what we came into this world to do is to bring all the nitzotzot of Kiddushah that are scattered all over the world after the sin of Adam Rishon and return them to their place. And once the flash spark of Kiddushah is returned to its place, then the Kiddipot dissipate. And then, like we said, Bilam Abedanesah. Moshe Rabbeinu Shalom wants to go into Eretz Israel. Why does he want to go into Eretz Israel? To eat Jaffa oranges? The Gemara says, Vichy, the Echomet Priyahu Sarich. He wants to eat, uh, have a pizza, he wants to have a falafel. What does he want to go to Eretz Israel for? So Hachamim come along and say, because he said, I am able to bring down the four Kedipot. I can bring them down. The Ba'ale Amigadeh Amukot says, that's why when he comes along and he tells God, he says, if you take the word, it's the same letters as what? Let me handle it. I can take down the two males. I can take down the two females. And what did it say? It's God, you know why I'm praying to you? Lemor. Lamed Aleph Mem Resh. Lamed is Li Lili, the Taf. Aleph is Edom. The Mem is Mahala, with the Taf. And the Resh is Resh He Bet. I want to go after them more. I want to go after them. Bodhi Aulam says, Moshe, you did a lot. The Zora Kadosh says, that there's 288 nitzotzot that need to be collected all together. We call that the rapah nitzotzot. Rapah. Moshe Rabbeinu, by the way, collected 202 of them, which was a lot. 202 he collected. But the other 86 was still outstanding. And he said, let me go to Israel. So what does God say? God says, Rav Lach, Rav. You got 202, Moshe Rabbeinu. You're not able to do this now. You have to let somebody else do it. So what does he say? Go to your student, Yoshua. He's going to be able to start the process. What's the process? 
he's going to be able to begin the process of killing the kilipot of the males. Not the females, the males. All of a sudden, Moshe Rabbeinu goes to Yeshua and listen, I just prayed to do it, but God said I can't do it. You got to do it. Make sure the first thing you do in Eretz Yisrael is you handle it. Comes the Pasuk and says, what happens? Yeshua sends Shnayim Anashim Meragelim Heresh Lemor. Remember he sent the two spies into Eretz Yisrael? Who are the two spies? Kalev and no, Yeshua sent Kalev and Pinehas. Those were the two Kohanim. So he says, Shibime Yehoshua Lo nichne'u mesitra ahara Rak tren na'atzile ara They were only able to machnia and subjugate two out of the four. Aval ha'nashim Lo nichne'u rak bimeshelomo So when those two spies went into Eretz Yisrael There's no coincidence that they went to the Habazona. They get to the Abazona. That's what the Kiri bought over there. And they made tikkun. They made such a tikkun. What happened? She converted. What a tikkun. You would think they were just over there making a, a, a espionage. <coughs> they made such a tikkun. The Abazona became tzedeket. They took all the kedusha out of the place. But they were only able to metaken the male side. When was the tikkun of, 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 of the female? Oh, that's what our pasuk says now. After what does it say? As tavona, then which means they couldn't come before those two zonot actually were two kilipot according to the zohar. Yeah, they were coming as ladies. What should the most of them come into the things? Oh, this is a big item over here. This we're waiting over here. By the way, does anybody know when? Uh, Shalomor, what year did he build the Beit HaMikdash when we came out of Mitzrayim? Oh, you don't know. The Nabi tells us. He built it in the 480th year. The Pasuk says. He built in the 400th Says the Bikubali, why do you have to wait for the 480th year? Because the gematria of the main kalipa of the Isha Zona is Lam Midyud, Lam Midyud Taf, which is the gematria 480. And therefore... He had to wait to the 480th year to build the Beit HaMikdash. Now with the Tikkun of the Beit HaMikdash and Shilomo's wisdom. So he writes over here, the Megaleh, Shekol HaZonot Shuba'olam Yonkot Mehem. They get their, 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 their uh, uh, Yenika, they draw their power from them. Ve'lachen utzrak Shilomo libnot Beit HaMikdash b'shnat arba me'ot u'shmonim. Shehem tafpe mahanot. That's the 480 mahanot of Lamed Yud, Lili. Alzeh, palel Moshe, Moshe Rebbe wanted to make the tikkun. But God said, no. It'll take place in two times. Yoshua will do shnayim haris lemor. That will be the shnei zecharim. And then, naharkak bimesh So according to this over here, this was... <laughs> So according to this, the Hakamim saw what was going on. He's unbelievable. He's a twelve-year-old. Twelve-year-old. What he's doing over here? He's doing something that Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't do. <coughs> he's doing something that Yoshua uh, uh, could not do, and therefore they were so impressed. So when you learn this story over here, you have to learn it on a much higher madriga. When it says zonot that came, these were the kohot of the sitra hara that came in order to fight Shlomo uh, Amelech, and. He was forced to subjugate them. Obviously, it didn't work.
because they're still around. And the Mikubalim discuss why it didn't work uh, on the night of the Beit HaMikdash. What do you think? You're not going to put up a fight? The kid, he points, okay, kill me. I'm here, kill me. Of course not. You're going to put up a fight. On that night, it says, Shabbat married Bat Paro. On that night, he got drunk. Uh, there was a big Kitrug. And the Tikkun, unfortunately, was not able to be made. And therefore, we wait until the future. But there's one more uh, element. There's one more element. But by, by the way, and now I understand the connection between the parasha and the and, 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 and the haftarah because the whole parasha obviously is talking about Yosef. Yosef is Sadiq. Yosef is the tikkun yesod. Yosef is the the one that overcame Eshet Potiphar. And now already Shalom Amalek was also a king. They're both kings. And therefore his job also was to be machnia the Shnei Zonot, which is the source of all the uh, Tumas. See, two kings. Yosef is Yesod and Shalom is Malchut. Yesod and Malchut, they go together. Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David. That's Yosef and, and Shalom. So the two kings come together in the Haftarah with the same objective. In order to be Machniya the, the Kiripot, in order to be Machniya the, the, the Znut. Yosef and Mitzrayim and Shalom and Yerushalayim. The last point, which is very important to, to say again, I, the next time we have this Haftarah, actually, if I'm not mistaken, Tafshin Pedalit. So it's not that far off. We'll have it in three years. And then after that, I think it's another 17 years. So uh, let me just get this uh, get this out now because we don't know when we'll be able to do it again. What I'm telling you, I heard when I was in Yeshiva. The famous talk. It's a talk from Avchaim Shmuelevitz. Avchaim Shmuelevitz, Adav HaShadon was a Rosh Yeshiva and the Mir. And he gave schmoozes, you know, to the boys. And these schmoozes became instant classics. And they wrote them in a sefer, I recommend it, called Sihot Musab. It's three years of talks that he gave in the yeshiva. But in these three years is all the secrets of human psychology and human understanding. He understood the human being very, very, very good. And he put all these uh, intuitions and ideas into his talks. Very, very uh, uh, brilliant, eye-opening talks that he has. All on the human condition. One of his famous talks, he talks about Or v'choshech be'adam she'mishtamshim be'edbubia. He talks about that humans are like schizophrenic. They have light and darkness inside of them, working simultaneously. What does it mean to say? You have people that, on one hand, act in a very religious way, and at the same time, uh, doing Amirot, at the same time. What would a Bashar be like uh, today? You see people, uh, you know, they steal money, and they give Sadaqah. He wants to give Sadaqah, he buys Kanidre, he wants to, I believe, but he knows the value of the Kanidre, but what do you mean stealing? On one hand, you have or one hoshech, altogether. You see, the people have this. Uh, what should I say? It's a contradiction. They live in contradiction. We would have thought. I read in my book, and the or has its time. The hoshech, no, in humans, or in hoshech, uh, they uh, they commingle, they coalesce. 
His classic example, his classic example of this when he wants to be the poster child of Orve Choshech Be'erbubia is Eliphaz. It's the classic case. Eliphaz, his father tells him, go kill Yaakov. Yesav tells Eliphaz, his son, go kill Yaakov, your uncle. What does he do? He goes to his uncle. He says, listen, my father told me to kill you. So uh, Yaakov says, uh, so listen to him. He says, listen, uh, uh, so Yaakov has to talk him out and say, listen, you know, there's a way you can fill Kibbutz If you take all my money with the thumbs, Hashuv uh, Kamet, so therefore it's like you killed me. So, oh, okay, good. So what does he do? He strips his uncle, takes everything he has. Eliphaz, what do you mean Kibbutz how can you do kibbutz in this case over here? Tell your father to jump over a cliff. You're not high up to do kibbutz in this case. But you see, Elifaz, at the same time, he's stripping his uncle, who's a tzaddik, Yaakov Ishtam Yashiv Alim. He's worried about kibbutz Abayim. He says, on one hand, he was a student of Yitzhak. He can't, can't kill, but he's a student of his father. He has to listen to his father. So you see, at the same time that he's committing the worst crime against Yaakov, he's worried about kibbutz Abayim. And that's happening at the same time. Schizophrenia. The in that talk says, I'd rather a person be totally uh, uh, in the darkness than to be in schizophrenic stage. Is that's worse? Well, you're using dark and light at the same time. And the Avonabi would say, until when are you pulling the rope on both sides? Either go this way or go that way. You're pulling the rope on the, on the two sides. Either go this way or go that way. Either here or there. Can be in both places. Anyway, his classic second proof is from our story over here. He said, what possesses a lady to kidnap a baby? That's what the lady did. It's kidnapping a baby. Middle of the night, she got up. Uh, she went, she took up dead baby, put it next to the other one, and she took a, she took a baby. You know, that's the facts. Shalom was right. Shalom said he got it right. What possesses her? So he says, he says, every human being was born with a natural tendency that they want to give. People like to give. There's a certain hana'ah. Which I tell you, there's hana'ah to give. People like to give. There's a pleasure to give. But Rav Chaim Shmuelavit says, that the biggest hana'ah to give is to the person's own children. Why? Because a child accepts from the parent without any um, uh, guilt or any... A child accepts from the mother, the father, not embarrassed, takes it. So the, the no, there's no better hana'ah than when a mother can give to her child. It's a hana'ah. This lady over here had a baby. She was enjoying the fact she could do to the baby. Then the baby died. So in order, he says, to fulfill her urge to want to be a giver, listen, to be want to be a giver. So what did she do? She steals the baby. He says, look at the tzad she caused the other lady. Imagine the lady wakes up, she sees her, her baby was kidnapped in front of her eyes. She commits the worst agony to the other lady in order what? To satisfy her desire to give. What's driving you? Has it. 
I want to do for because this child is going to think that I'm the mother, and therefore she'll receive. The baby will receive from me. I know it's not my child, but the child doesn't know that. Therefore, the child will receive from me properly. Therefore, I can have that satisfaction of giving to a child. Yeah, but at what cost? This other lady made uh, a vinut now. What you did to her, you wound her life. So what does Shalomor Melech say? This is the brilliant of Chaim. Shalomor says, get the knife. According to Chaim, it's a simple expression. Bring the knife, the real knife. Cut the child. And all of a sudden, that lady, a second ago, that wants to kidnap a child to do chesed to that child. Now what did she say? Kill him. Gezoru. Says Chaim, what happened? She went from being the biggest ba'al of chesed that she'll steal a child to do chesed and now she's a, he's a murderer. Shalomor Melech says, you're guilty. The other one's the mother. How do you know that this is going to work? He says, a human nature. He says, you have to know when human beings start to slip, there's no telling. There's no telling where they could fall to. Human beings don't have breaks. The sin creates a very slippery slope. When you start to fall down that... Uh, that slope called Abira, once already you're in that uh, downturn and gravity's pulling you down, there's no telling where the person can lead to. Shalom said, a lady that can kidnap is a lady that can kill as well. There's no breaks on that. You know, Adkan, you know Adkan. Once the Yisra has you in the downfall, in the free fall, there's no telling what you'll do. Today, you're going to have the Tomorrow you'll be Shalomu Amalek saw already this lady where she's holding. And then we said, if she can say Gezoru, that means already she's holding by Averot. She's holding by that. She must She must have started with the first Averot of kidnapping. And from there, everybody says, even though her kidnapping might have been religiously motivated. It's a kidnapping. Yeah, but the agony of the other one. Or and the lesson that he learns from this story is the only way to uh, be consistent, the Gemara says, is you have to study Torah. You have to study Torah the proper way. Torah is miyashir. The Torah is called Oraita. Oraita is Or. When you come to learning in the Shi'urim, it tries to create a certain consistency that the person will live according to the true values and not you know, mix these uh, values of right and wrong uh, together. Nonetheless, Rabotai, Daftara teaches us uh, of Shalom Amalek's dream. It says the dream that he had came true. He made a celebration after the dream came true. Nachamim learned from over here halakha. From here we learned that when a person finishes a, uh, the Sefer Torah, he has to make a siyum. From here we learn that it's about making siyum. Why? Because when Shilohua Melech woke up, all the wisdom was in his head. Finished. He made a siyum al kula Torah kula, he got all the wisdom in his head. And what's the first thing he did? Bayaz Mishnei Gadol. So therefore you see that whenever you finish uh, the Torah, like it's a Torah, we make party for the Shush Bini. Why? Because already Shilohua Melech showed us that lesson over there. And the connection to the parasha, as we learned today, is twofold. Two dreams, the dream of Paro and what happened to him, and the dream of Yishelomor and what happened to him. And secondly, according to the Mekubalim, the story of Yosef, who's the Yesod. And look what he did to Egypt. 
The Yisod is the Mefanes. The Yisod is the one that brings, he's the pipe of the Panasah that went in. And Shinomor Melek wanted to finish the Tikkun of Yosef. As in the year 480, the two Zonot came, the two Zonot of Lili and Mahalan. This is the moment over here to make the ultimate Tikkun. Of course, the Tikkun was delayed. Bezat Hashem will come Moshe Rabbeinu, like it says, as Yashir Moshe of Israel, Moshe Rabbeinu will come. He wanted to do it early. God said to him, not now, Rav Lach. Bezat Hashem, the Moshe will come. At that time, we'll usher in the Mashiach, and then will be fulfilled the Pasuk, Bila'amah B'tanesa, the Kilipot will fall to the side, and then Bezat Hashem, Yitzra'ra, will be decimated and destroyed, and then Bezat Hashem will have peace and tranquility. La'adu'ona'ona'ameen. Amen. 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 Amen.